Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last week featured part one of my interview with Father Joseph Tham of the Legionnaires of Christ, family physician, and professor of bioethics at Regina Apostolorum Pontifical University in Rome. I spoke to Father Tom regarding the secularization of bioethics and did so following my shows discussing in vitro fertilization, which is a notable example of where secularized situational bioethics has led. We reviewed his journey from Hong Kong, his place of birth, to Canada at age 15. We recounted his professional journey from studying math and science and the secularized practice of medicine to the priesthood and professor of bioethics. This journey was fueled by his disillusionment with secular medicine, especially with respect to the prescribing of contraception when he recognized its damaging effects on the bodies and souls of the women that contraception was supposedly designed to help. His journey included a trip to the Pope Paul VI Institute for the Study of Human Reproduction in Omaha, Nebraska, where he learned more about the landmark 1968 encyclical Humanae Vitae and the destructiveness of contraception to people and society that was predicted by St. Pope Paul VI. Father Tom also learned about the beautiful and effective alternative to contraception of modern, scientifically-based, natural family planning. This experience helped lead Father Tom to become a priest and a professor of bioethics while he further explored the damaging effects not only of contraception, but of the secularization of medicine in general. Father Tom has noted that secularized bioethics has been a disaster, not only with respect to reproductive health care, but to the health care of people in general, and indeed to all of Western civilization. Last time I also read excerpts from Father Tom's paper, The Secularization of Bioethics, which reviewed its modern roots in the so-called Age of Enlightenment of the 18th century. The major themes of the Enlightenment were human reason, individualism, and skepticism, as well as the marginalization or outright rejection of religion as manifested in the French Revolution. This cultural milieu ushered in an age of secularism in the West, which included the field of medicine and bioethics. Religion continued to be marginalized with respect to medicine and culture, and this process was accelerated by the vitu 
vituperative rebellion against humanae vitae, which emphasized eternal truths manifested by natural law. Humanae vitae was a stalwart sign of contradiction to the relativism of the so-called age of enlightenment. Today you'll hear part two of my conversation with Father Tom as he further discusses the historical roots of the secularization of bioethics and how, far from being a natural evolution of society, away from religion, it was a purposeful agenda of opposition of secularists toward religion and the unleashing of the dictatorship of relativism, which ends in nihilism and which threatens to destroy both the field of medicine and all of Western culture. Before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 to 35, reads this way. Now in Jerusalem there was a man named Simeon. He was an upright and devout man. He looked forward to the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had set eyes on the Christ of the Lord. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, he came to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the law required, he took him into his arms and blessed God. And he said, Now, Master, you are letting your servant go in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen the salvation which you have made ready in the sight of the nations, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. As the child's father and mother were wondering at the things that were being said about him, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Look, he is destined for the fall and for the rise of many in Israel destined to be a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your soul too, so that the secret thoughts of many may be laid bare. O God, may your Son Jesus, who was a sign of contradiction, a sign that has been opposed for two millennia by those who oppose your will, soften the hardened hearts who refuse to accept your truth and rather seek their own relativistic personal truth in their quest for fulfilling their own will. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now here is part two with my conversation with Father Joseph Tom. Secularization is a very loaded term, actually. And I realized that uh, when I started to do my investigation. So, on one hand, there is 
kind of something that we all see, you know, the world, the, the world in general, the America in particular, Europe, is becoming less and less religious in many ways. Uh, it's not just practices, but also church attendance and yep. also, above all, uh, mentality, right? It's more like they don't think uh, religion or God has any move maybe lives. And so that's, in some ways, something that has been going on for the last, I guess, 100 years mm-hmm. um, in America. But in Europe, it started earlier. I think they call it the Enlightenment in the yes. 17th, 18th century already right. that was uh, happening. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I traced it more like in general and look at it from a political, social, economic, and looking at it. And some parts of it is uh, quite interesting. And above all, I think the sociologists, um, which is uh, something I had to do a lot of research on, uh, Look, that secularization of something natural or given, almost like, well, it has to happen because just that the society is progressing, it's getting modern, it's getting, it doesn't really need God anymore. Yeah. Uh, we, have, we can find the science and find you all, give you all the answers. And basically, it's something almost like a given, like the world yeah. has to become secularized. Hence the term. The, yeah, the, 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 the enlightenment, that's what we... <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, go but ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. That this is the case. So when I, when I did my, my, um, my research, I realized that this is actually quite controversial. This theory, what we call the secularization theory, is in itself not something proven, mm-hmm. but it is something that almost like they want it to happen, and so they're promoting it to happen. Mm. So... And, and so I realized that, okay, there is the events and the history of uh, what we call the phenomenon of secularization, which I, I think everybody would accept. And then there is, behind it, a series as to why it's happening. Mm-hmm. And if you actually, in my research, look at it, worldwide, secularization is not a worldwide phenomenon. Hmm. It's actually more in the developed countries hmm. uh, that this is happening. In other parts of the world, the opposite is happening. People are getting more religious. Is that so right? There was a, a surprise to me. We realized that secularization is actually not, I mean, it's not happening everywhere, and it's actually a minority position, right? So that, that was a surprise to me, too. Yeah. And so when I dig further, then I was looking at the, the different theories, and then basically, they, there are many schools, but there are two general schools. One is that this is bound to happen, mm-hmm. just the advance of history, becoming more scientific, and they become more irreligious or less religious. And the other one is basically uh, saying that, no, this is happening because there are movements and forces and people who are behind this uh, thing, and they're actually pushing this agenda. Mm. And so these are the two different uh, versions of it. And you can also see that in, uh, in bioethics, that it didn't really happen out of the blue. But right. bioethics obviously is a much smaller phenomenon because uh, we're talking about now some, uh, 50 years of history. So in this, in the, so it's a very short history. So but what I was able to recount 
is that uh, biotics began by people who are very religious, mm. especially uh, the involvement of theologians at the beginning. Right. Um, and then slowly uh, that became a marginalized voice in biotics, and then uh, different causes and reasons behind that as well. And some of them are understandable, some of them are also, like I said, because of uh, societal forces and interest groups as mm. well. Yeah, and I, I um, and again the the whole notion uh, or the movement with uh, involving contraception was key because at around the same time in the 1960s there was this whole push toward uh, moral relativism. You know, so people were saying things like, "Well, contraception is is okay." I remember in in college they say, "Well, contraception is okay as long as you." fundamentally want to have children at some point you know mm-hmm. rather than talking about each sexual act between married people should be oriented toward having children or at least not excluding children mm-hmm. so there was a lot of relativistic uh conversation mm-hmm. around that time and you you know you mentioned that too right. yeah i wrote about different areas where society became more secularized and surprisingly the last stronghold where the last place where, where secularization touched was actually theology. I mean, it seems like a contradiction, yes. but that's really what happened in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And there was a movement to secularize theology. Yes. And so that just fit right into the whole debate of contraception because that's already happening in many, or in Europe, first of all, uh, in the biblical studies dogmatic theology, uh, and people were uh, basically, I mean, theologians especially, becoming less solid, more social-oriented, mm-hmm. and there was a whole movement of saying that, well, I'm not sure you've heard about it, Now there were doubts about whether miracles described in the, heart, in the, in the Bible really happened, right. whether Jesus uh, was, like, whether it was um, uh, the virgin birth, that Jesus was really uh, performing all these miracles right. and so on. So there's already a movement happening, especially among sort of the Protestants as first, but then also touched on Catholic theology. Mm-hmm. So at first it's more like, I would say, doctrinal type of uh, dogmatic theology, but then eventually it also uh, was called moral theology. And then was basically a whole debate on contraception had actually damaged moral theology yes. um, very severely. Uh, you're still recuperating from that. Yep. Uh, and you talk about relativism, and that's part of the uh, the whole debate, whether contraception is an recall in moral theology, where, whether it is uh, an intrinsic evil, and whether really there's anything that's called intrinsic evil, whether even this category exists. I, I remember as you were talking about um, uh, religion being demythologized was the was the term, and I remember that very well. You know, I was a cradle Catholic, and you know, very traditional. <laughs> Grew up in a very Catholic home that went to mass every Sunday and so forth. And when I got to college, when I got to uh, Holy Cross College in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, they were talking about this. Well, you know the the, uh, the the they're talking about the demythologizing of, uh, and uh, there was somebody 
There was a theologian by the name of Rudolf Bultmann, which we spent a lot of time on, and we spent more time on people like him, who said, "Well, a lot of this, a lot of the uh, New Testament was sort of uh, mythologized, and it didn't exactly happen mm-hmm. uh, the way uh, you know the way it says uh, in the New Testament." So they were elevating people like that, and they were lowering people like Thomas Aquinas. And I, I noticed that you. Uh, you, you kind of refer to yourself as somebody who is more Thomistic uh, in his uh, outlook. Right. Um, I guess there is um, a whole debate that probably most people older than Catholic haven't heard about it. But as a, as a result of uh, Humanity mm-hmm. there was a total revolution about the way moral theology should be done in the Catholic world. And so all these kind of questions that were, I mean, all these principles that originally that were upheld, Thomistic uh, principles, were put into doubt, right? So this category, I said, intrinsically evil. Are there things that are always wrong, in spite of um, place and time and intention? It's always wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Human is always wrong, uh, and so on. So the, those questions were put into doubt. And so... In the 70s, 80s, even up to the 90s, there was a big debate in the academic world amongst Catholic theologians about what we call the the way we should do moral theology. Mm-hmm. And so there was less time of confusion, right, as well, or a lot of uh, seminaries, just, I mean, obviously, if you don't have this straight, then you can really teach uh, in a good way mm. to seminarians and also uh, Catholic universities, um, affecting also healthcare, uh, doctors. I mean, all these things are a domino effect, right? Right. When one thing goes, everything kind of follows. Yeah. So in the in the in biotics, especially, you can see you know, uh, contraception. It's only the first domino, and then after that, abortion, after yes. that, euthanasia. Exactly. Now it's like, you can talk about, you know, human cloning. Transgenderism. Uh, and, and then many, many different things, like yeah. infanticide, right? And right. That is on the, on, the, on, the, on the table, because everything goes. Yeah. If it's no right and wrong anymore, everything depends on the circumstance. That was uh, something that uh, already way back, uh, you see it coming, mm-hmm. and it's just going to get worse, um, and that's what we're seeing today with uh, yeah. biotics, just no longer, I mean, they no longer talk about what is right and wrong, right. It's more like about, okay, uh, what are the different opinions, and you make your own opinion. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> it's like we've come, uh, f- we've come uh, full circle uh, back in... Back in the time of Hippocrates, it was common for doctors to um, kill their patients if they couldn't cure them and to um, provide uh, abortion. And that all changed with Hippocrates for, you know, for two, more than two millennia. And now, like you say, we're even talking about infanticide. There was a bill introduced in California that would legalize um, uh, infanticide up till six weeks. It's just unbelievable. I know at uh, one point you um, you talked about talked about terms, you know, relativistic terms like 
proportionalism and uh, and fundamental option option. Could could you say something about these uh, those notions? Yeah, uh, proportionalism is uh, basically a theory um, saying that the action cannot be always wrong. It really depends on maybe your intention. Yes, or it could be your the circumstance. So um, once again, they would say, for example, uh, contraception is not always wrong, according to the proportionalist. It really depends on the consequences. You are doing it out of selfish reasons, uh, or you, you are damaging or hurting other people in the process, and you have more bad consequences once, and then and that would be uh, considered bad. But it's not always and everywhere bad. And so proportionalism is very similar to what we call consequentialism. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically it's related to the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And nowadays we hear this is also related to what we call utilitarianism. Uh, action is good if you have more good outcomes than bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. So um, this has become uh, part of the, uh, the ethical reality that we live in today. So basically, first of all, we're talking about contraception, but the same thing can apply to any other issues like abortion. There could be good outcomes. Basically, there could be bad consequences, and so you can never say that it's always wrong. Mm-hmm. Even infanticide is not always wrong. It's right. right. Maybe some good outcomes occasionally. In this particular case, there could be more good outcomes than bad outcomes. So if you look at it that way, then so there they're basically nothing that is totally forbidden. And so that's basically the, uh, the world we live in today. There's no, in some way, it destroys ethics. I, I, I won't say that uh, eventually it uh, falls into what we call not just uh, relativism, but nihilism, in the sense that uh, everything, uh, there's no right or wrong. This concludes part two of my interview with Father Joseph Tom. Secularization has led to relativism, which has led to nihilism, the rejection of all religious and moral principles in the belief that life is meaningless and all that matters is one's own ego, one's own autonomy, one's own so-called personal truth. I concluded the last show by reading excerpts from Father Tom's paper, The Secularization of Bioethics. Here are some additional salient segments of that paper. Secularization has had the greatest impact in American higher education, where the explicitly religious, mainly Christian, ideals and authority that once held major influence in the leading institutions, now have little sway at all. It happened across the board, from Ivy League schools to state universities, in Protestant colleges and Catholic institutions. Academics all over have come to accept the unspoken enlightenment assumptions that belief is non-rational, if not wholly irrational, that it lies outside the bounds of 
intellectual inquiry, and that it is of marginal significance in human life. This defection of colleges and universities from their denominational loyalties is due to a series of economic, administrative, professional, and religious factors. Different denominations originally erected Protestant schools to produce learned clergy. At the beginning of the 20th century, Protestant liberalism, which colluded with secularists in orienting the educational system toward research and professionalism, regularly overtook the evangelical thrust of the schools. Catholic higher education withstood secularizing tendencies until the 1960s, when complex cultural and ecclesial factors caused a crisis of identity, which boosted the desire of university administrators to enter into the mainstream and contributed to a preference for academic excellence over their school's religious moorings. As an aside, I experienced this firsthand at the College of the Holy Cross, which, in my opinion, has been thoroughly secularized. Continues Father Thom, Ethics and theology were probably the last strongholds against the erosive tide of secularity, but they eventually succumbed as well. This is predictable since theological speculations and research are invariably linked to the now secularized academia. For the mainline Protestant churches, decades of collaboration with secular forces in the educational field eventually broke down when the secular forces deemed the all-encompassing liberal Protestant ideals too sectarian. Catholicism, drawing on its European encounter, was able to withstand the encroachment of Enlightenment thinking for many years. Notwithstanding courageous resistance in many parts, the discord generated by the papal encyclical Humanae Vitae was the straw that broke the camel's back. Before Humanae Vitae, the natural law approach of Catholic medical ethics found perfect harmony between faith and reason, with its ultimate foundation in God. In the fallout of Humanae Vitae, the uprising of a revisionist morality changed the adequacy of natural law reasoning to address the moral questions of the day. Tune in next time for part three of my interview with Father Joseph Thom, when we will further discuss the banality of the secularization of bioethics. As Father Thom has stated in his writings, the current secular approach to bioethics is grossly insufficient. Because of Enlightenment bias, secular bioethics cannot address the deeper questions of life and death, the common good, justice, and care for the poor and the voiceless, which ought to be among the true ends of medicine. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect, and at the very least, we should first do no harm. 
First, do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.